All right, well, we are in Matthew chapter 13, and uh, for those of you that don't know what we're doing right now, you can raise your hand if you need a Bible, by the way, Uh, but if you don't know what we're doing right now, we're in the middle of a uh, five-year trek through the New Testament. In order to accomplish that, you have to do one chapter a week for the next five years, and I always throw an ish on there because you're going to have the occasional Easter and Christmas that's going to pop up, and so you're going to take those uh, days off and do maybe something a little bit different, but uh, five-ish years, and we're actually about a quarter of the way through that at this point, and so we've already done John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, James, Jude, Revelation, so we covered all the John books, and then James and Jude just because they started with J, and then I started over now, we're in this Matthew section, so we're in Matthew, and then I'm going to go on to First and Second Corinthians after this, but we're just going to keep working our way uh, through the New Testament like this. Now, uh, in order to do that, though, we have to take on sometimes some really big chapters. That's what we have here before us today. We have 58 verses uh, to cover, and we have less than 58 minutes to do it. So that means I should just get us started here. Uh, before we get too far into it, though, I want us to keep this question in mind as we're in Matthew 13, and that is this. Uh, are you here to hear the Word or to understand it? I think it's a a simple question. I think most of us in our, in our hearts would say we're here to understand the Word, but my experience with a lot of Christians has been uh, that they kind of just have this, this uh, check mark in their brain where they say to themselves, okay, here's the deal. I heard the sermon today. Check. I'm good. I've got this covered. I heard the sermon today, but we want to go beyond just hearing. We want to get to the point of understanding the things of the Word of God, and that's exactly what we're going to find here in Matthew 13, that Jesus is going to be uh, drawing that differentiation between those who are just hearers of the Word and those who go further to understand it so that they can begin to repent and that He would be able to heal them. Uh, It is going to be a little bit of a marked change. Uh, We'll find this here in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, It says that that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to Him, so He got into a boat and sat down And the whole crowd was standing on the beach, and he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, and then he's going to go on to give us in this chapter seven parables. But there's going to be this change that's going to happen in the way that Jesus is teaching from initially these very profound teachings where people were like, man, he's teaching with power, to this new way of teaching where he's going to be telling these stories, and the stories have some powerful spiritual truths behind them, uh, but oddly enough, he's not explaining them. He's just kind of putting them out there, just leaving them to the crowds. And it's really kind of an interesting and fascinating thing uh, for me as a preacher where I feel like my whole purpose is to help people understand the Scriptures. That's a little bit kind of off-putting to me. It's a little bit like, hey, Jesus, you're doing it wrong, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of like my job is to explain things. But what Jesus is doing is he's just showing up. And imagine if this happened here on some Sunday. Pastor Sean shows up. You're all here. I walk up and I just tell you an interesting farming story. And then I go, okay, then we'll see you next week. And I just leave it like that. Like you people be like, he didn't read any scriptures. He didn't explain anything. What's wrong with this guy? But Jesus is going to do that. It's going to be kind of over and over in this chapter. It's going to be farming story, farming story, farming story, baking story. And he's not going to bring any explanation unless they specifically ask him to explain it. So in these seven parables, he's only going to explain two of them. And that's what we're going to kind of look in and focus in on today to see this change that's happening in the way that Jesus is teaching. It really is kind of fascinating. So our first parable, uh, and I probably should just warn you of this, uh, I'm just going to take it in the way that Jesus presents it. And so I'm going to just, at times, he's going to have just rapid fire parables, and I'm just going to read through them, rapid fire parable, 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 parable. And if he doesn't explain it, I'm not going to explain it, and it's going to drive you a little crazy. And it's going to drive me so crazy that at the end, I'll just go ahead and explain them real quick anyway. (laughs) Because I just can't leave them hanging out there. But here's the first parable in verse 3. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil, But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. 
and he stops. <laughs> now, the farmers would have heard this story and go, that's good farming right there. And that's literally all it is. It's just, a, it's just a farming story. I mean, you guys understand the story, right? You've got a guy that's sowing seed. He's, he's planting seeds, but he's doing it the way where they just kind of cast it out. And some of it lands on rocky places, and some of it lands beside the road, and some of it lands in weeds, and some of it lands in good soil. And lo and behold, the seed in the good soil grows the best. To which all the farmers say, amen, testify. Now the disciples look at this and they're thinking to themselves, well, this is a new... This isn't how he's been teaching us in the past. In the past, he's been like hard-hitting. He's been bringing word. He's been powerful. He's been repeating all the prophets. And so the disciples in verse 10 came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And that's where Jesus is now going to answer them. But they're going to do the thing that I think is important. They're going to take the next step. They're going to seek to understand him. Why is he doing the things that he's doing? Why are you teaching them now in parables? Which Jesus is, of course, going to answer for them. Uh, but I kind of think of it in this way. This is one of the ways I've come to uh, think about this passage. Jesus told the disciples, I would make you fishers of men. And he's going out and he's tearing these, telling these parables, these stories. And I just look at him as bait. He throws the story out there as bait and he sees who's biting in other words, who, who's got questions about my story? And those are the ones who have this heart to understand, to not just hear, but to understand. And they're the ones who are going to follow him and say, uh, wait, Jesus, I have a question. And it's those are going to be the ones then that you're going to see are going to have a harvest in their life. So uh, here's their question. Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, Jesus is going to answer that uh, first through looking at Old Testament prophecy and then by actually explaining the parable that he just told. Uh, but in verse 11, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them uh, it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus in his uh, normal fashion is going to respond to them. He's going to give them an answer, uh, but he's going to give them an answer rooted in prophecy uh, because of this constant reminder in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this intention of the author, Matthew, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So Jesus in his answer then is going to say that the reason he's teaching in parables is in fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 6. But in this case, it's not a prophecy about him. It's a prophecy about the people. And the people have this problem that he describes using Isaiah 6 in verse 15, and that is the heart of the people has become dull. Not like boring, like dull, like a knife. Not useful anymore. Not able to do what it's supposed to do. A knife that's dull can't cut. The hearts of the people have become dull. Now, if you were to look at the Jews in general at the time of Jesus, you can somewhat recognize how this could happen. Think about how a knife becomes dull. Overuse, right? So imagine the Jews during Jesus' time, these folks had grown up, they had been hearing the great stories of the coming Messiah their whole life, and their grandparents heard it, 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 but the Messiah never came. But what we were seeing over and over, particularly at the time of Jesus, is this guy was standing up and saying, I'm the Messiah, and this one's saying, I'm the Messiah, and this one's saying, I'm the Messiah, and this one's saying, I'm the Messiah. And eventually they just kind of got to the point where they're not even paying attention anymore. They've heard all the stories. They know all the answers. They've seen all of these Messiahs that weren't really the Messiah. 
and their heart just has become dull. I would uh, put it in this sense uh, for us as evangelical American Christians. Here's what I've heard my whole life. The rapture is coming. The rapture is coming. The rapture is coming. And you know who said that before me? The pastors in the generation before that and the generation before that and the generation before that for 2,000 years. I still believe the rapture is coming, but my excitement is kind of like I'm excited for the rapture. I'm just not convinced that I'm the lucky generation. I'm hopeful, but I kind of like, okay, I get it. The rapture's coming. Now you have this, this heart, this dullness of heart within the people. I love the description here in verse 13. I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is the thing that happens. Uh, moms and wives recognize this from their husbands and from their children. Because the wife will say to the husband, hey, can you go get the mustard out of the fridge? And the husband, who has eyes, will open the fridge and he'll say, We don't have any mustard. And she'll say, it's right next to the mayo. And he'll say, we have mayo? His eyes are open. He just can't see it. You just kind of get used to this idea. It's a similar concept from the hearing portion of this. I've had this happen, and it's not just with my wife. It's with lots of people. But someone will come to me and say, Sean, I need you to do this, 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 and this. Is that okay? And I'll say, yes. And then I'll turn around and I'll think to myself, they said something what was I supposed to do now? Like, I heard it, but I didn't actually take the time to understand it. In fact, I would say my senses have become dull to wanting to do what other people want me to do. It just kind of happens. I used to have this nightmare when my kids were first born, and it happened with both of my children when each one was born. I had this recurring nightmare, uh, and it was the same every time. One of my children would be playing in the front yard, and they would bolt for the street, and I could see an oncoming car. And I would be yelling, stop, stop, stop. And they couldn't hear me. Even though they could hear me, they just kept going. Such a nightmare for me. I had the thing, the warning, the safety, what they needed. They needed to know about this oncoming danger, but just sometimes kids get in a zone, and they just go and do their thing. It was such a nightmare for me. Uh, that really early on in our childhood, one of our biggest things was slow obedience is disobedience. And that all came down to the fact is I just didn't want to see them run into traffic because they didn't immediately respond to my voice. I was afraid of kind of that dullness of heart. And this is kind of the same thing that Jesus is dealing with, with uh, here. Uh, I'd say it's, it's the same with dogs, right? Like you can have a very obedient dog. We have a dog that's really good in the house. If I say sit, he sits. If I say come, he comes. If I say drop it, he drops whatever's in his mouth. It works really well in the house. You go outside and that dog's feet start moving, his ears turn off. And that same dog that's super obedient in the house will take off running and I'll say stop and he did not hear a word I said. It's like there's a switch in his body. When his four legs are going, his ears have to turn off to make that happen. There's a dullness there and that's what he's dealing with here in the people of the nation of Israel at that time. But I think it's almost a dullness that we have to watch with ourselves as well because we've heard these stories before. I grew up in Sunday school. Some of you this morning, or this morning, this evening, as I started teaching this, you thought to yourself, I already know the parable of the sowers. And you kind of just, okay, I know where this is going. You kind of just shut it off. You're here and you're, you're hearing me technically. There's obviously words coming out of my mouth. It sounds a little bit like the teacher from the Peanuts right now. Wah, 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 wah. Is he going to keep going on this point? Yes. But what this is telling me is that there's some responsibility on our part to open our eyes and to prepare ourselves to go beyond just hearing to understanding. Now, Jesus talks about just how blessed those disciples were. He says, You guys, you're so blessed. Because you see, because you hear. But specifically what he's saying is you're so blessed because you can see me, Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but you can see him, Jesus, and you can hear him. Because for generations, the prophets have been writing down these prophecies of Jesus. And they would have given anything to physically see Jesus. They would have given anything, verse 17, to hear Jesus. And now Jesus, who is God, is standing right before the Jews, and they're just looking past him. 
They're, they're just not hearing the things that he's saying. There's a dullness to their hearts. It's a real danger for believers that we get to this point where there's a dullness of heart because we miss the things of God. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I can kind of connect with, the, uh, with, with these um, uh, prophets here in verse 17. Like, I would give anything right now if Jesus was here preaching this sermon. It'd be so amazing that Jesus standing right here, and I could see him with my eyes, and I could hear the words that he was saying. And I could understand it in ways beyond what I'm saying, because he'd preach it right, you know? There's this longing where that would be the most amazing thing ever, and yet we recognize that that generation who had Jesus right there, they just missed him. So they're going to give a further explanation, or they're going to get a further explanation from Jesus, and he's going to do that by beginning to explain that first parable that he told to the crowds. In verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises, Because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some So he brings the explanation now, but he's bringing it to the disciples because they're the ones that ask the question. That's why they're getting the explanation. Now, the explanation is not complicated. Uh, He makes it clear here that the seed that is being uh, scattered by the sower is the word of the kingdom of God. The problem is not everyone who gets the word is going to get anything out of it. And he gives a couple of reasons why. The first one uh, is there in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. You see the issue there. They heard it. They just didn't understand it. So Satan can take that word that was preached and heard, but not understand, and it has no value in that person's life. It's stolen away from them. That's that first danger. Again, some people hear the word, but they don't go that extra step to actually understand what it says. It's really of not a lot of value to them. Now, we do have this in the book of Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But what I'm understanding there, if you take both of these passages together, that yes, faith builds through the hearing of the word, but if you don't take that extra step to understand it, all that faith will be lost. There's no root. There's no foundation there. There's nothing to keep it safe. Uh, The next thing that we see then uh, is in verse uh, 20. Yes, verse 20. (laughs) This is the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is the the other thing that happens sometimes, and I think this goes back to a deeper understanding of the word, but there are some people that have this false impression in their mind that because they have given their life over to Jesus Christ, everything just gets easy. And so all they want to get out of the word is more joy, more joy, more joy, more joy, but they miss the parts of the word that are really important, like when we're told in scripture that in this world there will be trouble. That's the scripture speaking. When Jesus said, hey, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. That's not very joyous. But some people aren't prepared to deal with that. They get excited when they first hear things, but as soon as things start to go bad because of their new faith, they fall away from it. There was really no real understanding. There was no root to hold them and to keep them close to it. A very simple way of seeing it there, uh, but still... Kind of the idea that Jesus is getting across, that there's some people that all they want uh, is joy. 
which I realized on my slide I said that completely wrong. But that's okay. It was wrong first and second service, so I just want to be fair. All three services get it that way. Uh, Then the next one in verse 22, and the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Honestly, sometimes we hear the word, we receive the word, but we're so worried about everything else, there's no room for the word. It's just choked out by all the worries that are going on in the world around you. And that can be just in your personal life. I've uh, personally experienced this. I show up to church and I think to myself, I'm at church. I'm ready for my world to change. I'm here. And then the sermon starts and I start thinking about all the things that went wrong at work this week. And by the end of it, I've just got this long list of worries that hit my mind. And I didn't hear a word that the preacher said. I'm just kind of cataloging this list. Or I've seen this. This is probably most likely uh, ladies than it is guys, but I've seen this as well. Ladies, you'll see this. Just don't open your Bible around me because I'm going to see it. They've got the church bulletin and written on the edge of the bulletin is their shopping list. That's what they did during the sermon. It's like, these are all the things I need to get to the store after the sermon's over. Because they're worried about those things. Or maybe it's that deceitfulness of wealth, this idea that, hey, I'll get to those things eventually. But right now, I just got to make sure I make my way in this world. And so you get so focused on the accomplishments of stuff and things. But what I have found in my life is stuff and things just require more attention. The more stuff and the more things I've had, the more I needed to keep those things going. I remember when I first got married, Sheila and I were looking for our first house. And I thought to myself, if I could just buy a house that had two-prong outlets, I would have made it in this world. Not not two-prong, three-prong. I had the two-prong where you had to put the little orange thing on the end of your vacuum cleaner just to vacuum the house. So annoying. I thought, man, if I could just get a house with three-prong outlets, I've made it. And then I got the house with three-prong outlets, and now I'm like, if I could just get a house that I could park in a garage, like that's when you finally made it. So you got to work harder to get the house with the garage now so you can park inside. Next thing you know, you're like, what I really need is a nice big yard. And by big, I mean I bought 20 acres because it keeps my neighbors a little farther away. (laughs) But man, if I could just have some property, man, man, then I'll have made it in this world. You know what you got to do with that property? You got to take care of that property. You got to have a fence around that property because the neighbors will come visit. And if you don't, if you have a lawn, you got to mow that thing, you got to weed that thing, you got to take care of the sprinkler system. So I went from having nothing but not really any big problems to having a bunch of stuff and just adding to these things, the list of things that I have to do now. We get so caught up in the things that we're trying to achieve, the things that we're trying to gain in this world, that it becomes a distraction. And it can become such a distraction that our worries and our wealth choke out the word, and the word then becomes unfruitful in our life. And that's how Jesus is describing the various listeners. He's talking about the crowds, the people that he's preaching to right there. He's saying to them, this is why you don't understand who I am. It's these things. But then he he describes to us what the good soil is. This is the man who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, this is what I want us to grasp here. We have a responsibility to understand the Word. Now, I believe 100% doctrinally that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us on His behalf, on God's behalf, through the Word to teach us and to guide us and direct us. But I also believe that we can have a tendency to ignore Him when He speaks to us because we're not even trying to really understand because we're so worried about everything that's going on in the world, because we're so concerned about all of the worldly gain that we're trying to have, because we expected only good times and not bad times. And all of those things prevent us from actually understanding the Word of God. But man, when we can hear it and understand it, it begins to bear fruit in our life. So there's his explanation. He's explaining why he's teaching in this way. Now, Jesus is going to go on a tear of sorts here, which is funny if you recognize that the next parable is the wheat and the tares, but Jesus is going to go on a tear, and he's just going to rip off, boom, 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 three more parables without explaining them. 
uh, to the point where the disciples are going to have to like, whoa, I've got some questions. But here he goes. Here's our three parables, and I'm just going to bring them to you just like it says here in Matthew, 20, or Matthew 13. I'm just going to read them to you in rapid order. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? He then does, how then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And then it says this, all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So here comes Jesus now. He gets right back into it. Parable, parable, parable. No explanation. Now Matthew's going to throw an explanation in here that he did this as a fulfillment of a prophecy. That particular prophet that he's speaking of here is a guy by the name of Asaph. You may not remember Asaph as one of the more famous prophets. Uh, You actually probably know Asaph more as a poet than a prophet because Asaph wrote a number of the Psalms. And this is a quote here of Psalm 78 too, that Jesus would open his mouth in parables and utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So he's going back and saying, this is one of those things that the Messiah was supposed to do. And here Jesus is fulfilling that. He's doing those things. But it's interesting, he goes through, he brings these three, uh, very simple, but very, very important, he brings these three parables. But again, there's no explanation given there to the crowds. And so uh, we're just going to jump on past those things as much as my heart says, no, you have to go back and explain every detail, Sean. I'm going to just kind of take this through in the way the passage does, and we'll get back to those things at the end when I'm feeling guilty and I make myself do it. So verse 36, we have this interesting thing that happens. Then he left the crowds and went into his house. And again, now we have his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So here's again where this works. He brings the story. It's the disciples, the followers of Jesus, who actually came and said, well, let's get some clarity on this. Could you explain this particular parable to us? Now, uh, I'm going to take that to mean that the other two parables, the mustard seed and the leaven, were probably pretty easy to understand, or at least not as high on their list of things that were easy are difficult to understand. So they decide to pick the one of the three parables. But what's important about this in verse 36, it says, he left the crowds and went into the house. So the crowds who heard this parable, only a handful of people enough to fit into a house, are actually going to hear the answer to the parables. The rest of them went home and thought, good story, bro. I learned all kinds of stuff about farming today, a little bit about baking. It was awesome. I wonder what else Jesus could teach us. This is like the TikTok version of Jesus, the Facebook or the, you know, the Instagram version of Jesus, right? Just like, just throw this thing up there, no context, no point, just go on with your life. Cool story. And they're just gone. They scattered. His disciples followed him into the house and said, you got, we got some questions. You got some explaining to do, man. We, we don't understand the wheat and the tares. What is this about? So now Jesus is going to go back and he's going to explain the parable that we see in verse 24 through 30. So it says this uh, in verse 37, He said to them, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. 
and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who committed lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who ha- he who has ears, let him hear. So here we go. He's now going to give an explanation here of this particular parable. Uh, the parable itself, the story isn't complicated. Here's the story. A man goes out and he sows wheat or grain into his field. But when he's not looking, he has an enemy who comes in and he's going to sow a different type of seed in there. He's going to sow weed seed, not like Weed seed, but seed for weeds. Got to be clearer in this day and age. He's going to sow seed in that field. And so when it begins to grow, the harvesters start looking out and the slaves of the the landowner look out and they say, well, you've got a lot of wheat in there and that's good, but you also have a lot of weeds. Should we just go try to rip up and pull up all of those weeds? And he says, no, I want you to let it all grow and then harvest it and separate it at the time of the harvest. Again, it's just a farming story. But the concern is, if you're pulling the weeds, you might actually gently pull out some of the wheat. Again, great farming story, but Jesus is now going to take that. He's going to apply it to his kingdom, and he's going to tell us this. So this is the part to me that's a, uh, it's not the point of the parable, but it's important for us to recognize. He says the first one, the one who sows good seed, that is the Son of Man. That's Jesus sowing the gospel message out there. But what I think is important for us to remember is there's another person sowing in our world. That's the evil one, the enemy, the devil. And he's sowing bad seed into this kingdom. Seeds of unrighteousness, of bad news, of unfaithfulness. And we sometimes look at that and we say to ourselves, Jesus, why don't you put an end to all of this? And Jesus' plan is, no, I'm going to separate those things out, but I'm going to wait until the end to do that. He says, at that point, after the harvest, he says, so just as the tares are gathered and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. So he's telling us that he's going to separate those things out at the end of the age, and apparently for the same reason, so as not to uproot the good seed. That in some way, by trying to get rid of all the bad in the world, you have this tendency to also tear up the good. Now, that's interesting because I think there's a lot of Christians who feel like their job is to weed the church. Like they really, they feel like it's their job to find all the people who aren't really believers and get rid of them. Just chase them off. Just get them out of here. And it's their job to do that in the rest of the world too. And they're always out there looking at what everybody else is doing, trying to decide if they're weeds or if they're wheat, if they're good or if they're bad. But in the process of doing that, it seems that there's a tendency or a possibility that they could actually be destroying believers in the process. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about that, I'll sort it out at the end. And what I take for that is that it's really not my job to decide who's saved and who's unsaved. If somebody asks me, I can give them the marks of a saved person and an unsaved person. But I don't feel like it's my job to just start going out looking for those people. I just preach the word, let the harvest grow, let God sort it out in the end. Back when I was a kid... There was this uh, terrible t-shirt, but it kind of fits in this case. And it was just, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out. It's kind of how it's going to work out, right? (laughs) In the end, God's going to sort it out. That's just kind of the way it's going to work out. So he gives an explanation there. Now, here's the crazy spot. The crowd is gone. He's just with the disciples. You know what he's going to do? He's going to drop three more parables on the disciples here. So here we go, rapid fire, three more parables. And I know what you're thinking, Sean, you still haven't explained the mustard seed and the leaven. I know. It's messed up, isn't it? Here he goes, three more parables, just like that, rapid fire. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach 
And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of these things? And they said to him, yes. And Jesus said, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of the household which, who brings out his treasure, things new and old. So here we now have Jesus is just going to go not to the crowds this time, but just to the gathered disciples. And he's going to give them three more parables about the kingdom. He's only going to explain the last one again. And it's the same explanation that he gave for the wheat and the tares. So now we have seven parables but only two of them have been explained to us. You have the sower and the seed, the original one, which the lesson that we're learning there seems to be that we're supposed to hear and understand the Word of God in order to bear fruit in His kingdom. And then you have a second one that's explained to us. It's the wheat and the tares that's also repeated with the dragnet. And it's the same idea of separating out the good and the bad. And so the the parable of the dragnet when you're fishing with a giant net and you bring in a bunch of different fish, like in the movie Finding Nemo, right? It's after you get them up on the boat that you start to sort out the good fish and the bad fish. And so over here, you've got like your, your carp and your trout. And over here, you have fish sticks, the hot dog of the sea. And you just take all of this fish over here, the carp and the trout, and you just burn that up. That's useless. And then you take the, the fish sticks. That's the good fish. That's the fish you want. You keep that stuff. But there's this sorting out. If you like fish, you might have that switched the other way. But I don't like fish, so... But, but the idea is that it's the same idea. He says it's the same thing. There's going to be this division that comes at the end of the age. Same thing he talks about later in the Gospel of Matthew when he talks about separating out the sheep and the goats at the end of the age. Same thing that we see actually lived out in the book of Revelation, this time of judgment at the throne judgments of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a time of judgment, but it comes at the end of the age. So he's repeated that lesson now two different times in here, but he still hasn't explained the other ones. So he turns to his disciples and he says, have you understood these? And they said, yes. So Jesus doesn't explain them to us. He just leaves us hanging. But here's the thing. The fact that those disciples could understand them, maybe, just maybe we could if we just looked at them. You see, here's the idea of a parable. You're taking a complex theological idea about the kingdom of God and you're simplifying it by comparing it to an easy-to-understand story. So let's now go back and we'll look at these other four parables that we have here and just quickly see if we can gather the lesson. So the first one that we're going to look at is the mustard seed and I'm going to combine that with the leaven. And so verse 31 and 32 and then 33 and uh, 34 Uh, Sorry, just verse 33. So verse 31 through 33, there's going to be two parables in there. But the parables are pretty simple. Parable number one, mustard seed. You take a little tiny seed, you plant it, it grows into a plant so big that birds can, can, can hang out in the branches of that. The second one, a very similar concept, you take a little bit of leaven, which is yeast... And you put that leaven into these three, uh, these three lumps of dough, and it's going to spread throughout the lumps of dough. So what would be the simplest way to think about these parables? That which starts small, and this is comparing it to the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is going to start small, but it's going to grow large. And you can see that played out in the mustard seed. You can see that played out in the leaven. Now, here's the deal. Because Jesus didn't give us an explanation for this, there's another version. There's other interpretations for this. There's actually a lot of them, uh, but probably the most famous one that is, is similar to that takes that same idea and flips it on its head and says, this is actually not the good news that's spreading, but the bad news. And so they would say a mustard seed would grow a plant, but it wouldn't grow a plant big enough for birds to hang out in. So that's some sort of abnormal growth. And so the kingdom's going to look larger, but what's going to be hanging out in there is birds. And if you might recall, earlier in those passages, in the earlier description, the birds were described as the, the, the demons that were helping Satan get rid of the seed. So some people would look at that as a negative, some people would look at it as a positive, but it's starting small, it's growing large. And they would say the same thing about leaven. Well, just so you know, leaven throughout Scripture is often a picture of sin. 
And so they're saying that the sinful kingdom of Satan is going to grow within the kingdom of God. But don't worry, why? Because we have the wheat and the tares, and we have the dragnet to remind us that at the end of the age, God is going to separate those out. I don't know which one of those you want to believe is true, but I think both concepts are spiritually true. I think there's some reality in that. You'll even find more explanations than that, but those people didn't have to teach 58 verses tonight. So, now we'll go look at the other two. In verse 42 through 46, we have the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure, and the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And these seem to have the exact same understanding as well. Same concept being taught here. These two seem to be coupled together for a reason, to teach the same story. Uh, But the idea is pretty easy. A guy goes, he finds a field, he's digging in the field, he finds great treasure. He realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I don't own this field, so that's not my treasure. So he goes and sells everything he has so that he can go get that treasure. The picture, the idea seems to be that the kingdom of heaven is worth everything that you have. And then it's repeated again in the same way with the pearl. A guy finds a pearl of great price, of great value, so much so that he's willing to sell everything that he has to have the pearl, where the kingdom of heaven is just like that, that these two concepts, these two ideas are teaching the same idea that the kingdom of heaven is so great that it's worth getting rid of everything you have in order to get those things. It's just talking about then the greatness of the kingdom. Now, that's just us putting our eyes on it. These weren't interpreted for us by Jesus, so we have to kind of look at that and and find the easy meaning that Jesus is trying to bring about about his kingdom. Now, I'm going to give you a bonus parable. That's right, a bonus parable. In verse 52, I believe we have a bonus parable. So most commentaries will say that there are seven parables in this chapter, and we've covered them all, but I believe verse 52 is yet another parable that Jesus wants us to figure out. And I'll explain why I think it's a parable as I'm reading through it. It says in verse 52, And Jesus said to them, remember he's talking to his disciples, Therefore, so in response to the things that he's already said, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like... So he's going to now give us an illustration from the world to explain a spiritual concept. So that's a parable. Uh, Every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And I think we have an extra parable here, an eighth parable, but it should be easy enough for us to figure out. So let's remember who the scribes were. Uh, One way to remember who the scribes were is that it was their job to be the photocopiers of the Bible before copying machines existed. So part of what the scribes would do is they would take the written word of God and they would painstakingly write it out on another piece of paper so that they could have copies of it. And they were so diligent in this that if there was even one mistake on the page, they would burn that copy. And they would go out of their way to make sure there was no mistakes. They had this process where they would count you know, the number of words on a page. They would even count to the middle letter on a page. And if either of those counts didn't match the original document, they would dump the thing. It was gone. But we think, we're thankful for the scribes because that's how we have the Old Testament today, and that's how we know it's reliable because it was so painstakingly copied. So the scribes certainly had that responsibility, but they also became teachers of the Word of God because they knew it so well. Well, here's the problem with the scribes. You'll see it all through the Gospel of Matthew. They were constantly challenging Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, chapter 7, verse 29, and chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, we saw it in chapter 9, verse 3. We saw it last week in chapter 12, verse 38, that the scribes were there with the Pharisees asking for a sign in that case after Jesus had just healed people and cast out demons. But what Jesus says here, but here's the deal, he says... If any of those scribes were to get saved, man, the treasures that they could bring to the world, because they can take from the Old, the Old Testament, all that knowledge that they have, and bring with it the new things that Jesus is teaching, the explanation of the old things, man, the treasures that they could bring is great. Now, it's my guess that there might have actually been amongst the disciples some who were scribes. Maybe not the 12 disciples, but some of the disciples that were gathering together and following Jesus. Remember, the the 12 are kind of the most famous disciples, but there were actually lots of disciples. And you'll see that going forward in the Scripture, that some of the scribes and Pharisees are actually going to become followers of Jesus. Some of the religious leaders are going to become followers of Jesus. 
How powerful for those who had all of this knowledge of the old to now attach that or connect it to the life of Jesus Christ and bring with it the new understanding of the gospel, the new understanding of who the Messiah was, really the fulfilled understanding of what the old was already saying. Man, the treasures that they could bring in teaching. And so I think in a way, this is Jesus really offering an olive branch to a group of people who had previously been attacking him, being against him. But anyway, uh, you would think that the chapter would end right there. It seems like a good place. But in verse 53 through 58, we have this last little section that we're going to hit really quickly. Uh, And I'm just going to say whether this was intended to be connected to this or not, I don't know. What we're going to do, though, is just recognize Jesus is going to go teach in this town, and it's your time to apply the word here and tell me whether or not the people that he's teaching to are good soil or bad soil. They're just to hear things, or are they really seeking to understand what they hear? So here's our case study. Verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they all not with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So here now is the scenario. Jesus goes back home. He goes to Nazareth. He's going to start teaching. And it tells us right here in the passage that he's teaching, uh, as it says in verse 54, where did this man get this wisdom? They recognized what he was saying was great wisdom. Where did this man get these miraculous powers? They recognized that Jesus is actually doing miracles. So he's able to bring miracles. He's able to teach with wisdom. And the people were astonished. But they were astonished for all the wrong reasons. They weren't astonished at the wisdom. They weren't astonished at the miracles. They were astonished at the fact that, didn't Jesus grow up in this town? Like, I remember when that kid was in diapers. Like, his dad's just a carpenter. You know, his mom, Mary, she's got all those kids running around him all around her all the time. You got, you know, Joseph and James and Simon and Judas, and I'm not even talking about the girls yet. Like, that guy... What does he have that's so great? Where did he get this wisdom? Where is he able to bring these miracles? And they're almost offended by who he is. The reality was they didn't care to understand the things that he was teaching or the miracles he was performing. They were so distracted by how they were offended by him. Which I think is kind of funny just for me personally because I actually grew up in Cheyenne, graduated high school here. So every once in a while I get the pleasure of standing up here preaching and looking in the audience or see somebody come through the door who I went to high school with. And sometimes it's kind of like this. They just kind of walk in and they look up and they're like, whoa. And it's kind of like they just want to like slowly back out the door. I know that guy from high school. I'm not coming to this church. It's just kind of an interesting thing that I've been able to do ministry here. And I just wonder... If there's a bit of that. But here's the deal with these guys. They were so offended or so confused by what they were seeing situationally. They had all of these weird little worries. Isn't this just the carpenter's son? That they could not understand the things that Jesus was saying. And because of that, they were unable to bear the fruit that came from his teaching. And so that's really where we want to finish it up, though, for ourselves. We want to ask that question, are we here really to just hear the teachings, or is it part of our heart as believers that when we come to church to hear the word, we're not just here to have an entertaining sermon or even a well-taught sermon, we're actually coming here because we want to understand the things of God. I'll take it a a step further and probably get myself in trouble with this, Uh, but it's actually been of great comfort to me. Uh, Think of it this way for me. I have been preaching at this church in various forms uh, for 20 years. That's a lot of teaching and a lot of people that have come and gone during that time. And I think to myself sometimes, like, there's a lot of people that really didn't kind of get anything out of the things I said. And I can always say to myself, yeah, they probably weren't good soil. Because the reality is there's, there's an aspect of hearing the word that is on you. 
to understand it. It's my job to prepare it and to preach it and to teach it. But even if I do it poorly, it's still your responsibility to seek to understand it. The other thing it does for me is this, is it, it's, it's a humbling thing. It's a pride killer to recognize any success that I have in ministry must also then be because the people that I had the chance to preach to were good soil. It's a great reminder for me that anytime somebody comes up to me like, man, that was a great sermon, Pastor Sean, my response is oftentimes, it's probably because you're good soil. You wanted to hear the word today. You wanted to understand the word. You came in prepared for that. Don't be shocked and surprised when it actually happens. The Word of God is opened up to you because you sought to understand these things. So here we are. We're going to close it with that. My prayer for you guys is just going to be that the Spirit would be revealing to you the things that distract you from actually understanding His teaching. Heavenly Father, so thankful for the time that you give us in your Word. I'm thankful for the teaching of Jesus and the, the different styles and the various ways in which He approached teaching the Word. Obviously, He has a universal knowledge as God that he can um, know just what to say in the right circumstances and in the right ways to draw people to himself and to make sure he's drawing the right people to himself. Now, Lord, I would pray for each of us here, myself included, uh, that it wouldn't be enough that we heard the sermon today, that we would seek to take the next step and ask the question if we are good soil, and that your spirit would be clearly speaking to us the areas where the things in our life, where our, our false understandings about what the gospel is that prevent us from really understanding what you want us to know. And would your spirit make those things clear to us today? Now, Lord, I would pray that for believer and unbeliever, that there would even be amongst us maybe those who don't believe or maybe those who are listening online or those who will get it five years, ten years, a hundred years from now in an online format. But for them, as well as unbelievers, they would just ask the simple question, is it possible I don't believe these things just because I don't want to? Just because I'm too lazy to understand? And as they open up their heart to the understanding of your word, your Holy Spirit can come in and give them a clarity of mind that could lead to their salvation. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would be blessed as you see your people seek to understand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.